Hello. Hello, everybody. It's time once again for Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. We had quite a jaunty theme last time, the Straw Bear Festival, but fun though it is to be jaunty sometimes, I think it's time that we got back to a tale of mystery and murder and various other horrible happenings. Um, In this story, the murder is actually quite early on, and then there's a lot of strange subsequent events which are quite fascinating, but... A warning, quite gruesome indeed. Uh-oh. Should Katie be here? She hates gruesome she things. She notoriously hates gruesome she things. She does hate them. So we'll see. She may run screaming from the room later <laughs> on. Um, so as you've gathered, uh, here I am again with uh, Joe McPhee. Hello. Katie Holiday. Hello. Chris Rogers with the phones. And I, as ever, am Ruth McPhee. We're going to talk about the story of the murder of Maria Martin, also known as the murder in the Red Barn. Okay, that's a good name. Do either of you know this story? No. no. Well, well, it's I mean, quite... Only the short bit that you sent us in the text message to tell us. Just, I have to send a few initial facts just to help with drink choices. Because, of course, as ever, we'll all be uh, drinking some some vaguely thematic drinks relating to the tale. It's easier for me because I know the story. So it's a lot easier for me to choose. Although somehow Katie and Joe always do much better drinks than I do. <laughs> only when you did the milk-based one. Oh, <laughs> that was a bad choice. The bad milk. I'm never going to live that milk down. <laughs> Every time the milk comes out. (laughs) Well, you don't know the case, but it's actually, um, it's quite notorious. It's quite well known. People that are into folk music may know about it. Chris knows about it from the folk music times. There is a old folk song and there's a recent-ish version of it by Shirley Collins. Shirley Collins. I was going to say (laughs) Shirley Henderson, but I think that's an actress. Um, Shirley Collins and the Albion Band. Um, So maybe we'll listen later on. Not on air. We haven't got the rights. Can't do it. (laughs) Um, It's also interesting because it's one of the first murder cases that really captured the public imagination and really became a kind of... Uh, a media frenzy around the case with all the kind of accompanying things that that involves. So that's really interesting as well. Even as the trial was taking place uh, and very soon after the execution of the murderer, there were novelizations of the story produced. People did play versions on the stage. Countless newspaper articles. Little etchings (laughs) were produced. There were songs. There was even, you know, Staffordshire pottery, little ceramic models. There were like red barn sets produced of the people involved in little red barn that's really dark it's dark so what, you're gonna have it on your mantelpiece yeah why not in what, next to jack the ripper <laughs> you can't make one of him you don't know what he looks like like well he could just be a hooded man right, fine, just a little yeah. clay like decapitated prostitute that's gonna be <laughs> well <laughs> what we see in this case is the public would eagerly devour that they'd say yes Let's put a little ceramic sculpture of Mary Kelly in her dismembered body just on our mantelpiece. That was that was the way. Wowzers. They're just staring at me in shock. (laughs) Well I'm a bit surprised. We've we've gone we've gone dark early. I'm afraid. We need to know why. Why did people want to do this? Why? What was it about the case? Yeah. That was so fascinating to people and that led to all these retellings. Obviously, not all completely accurate. I will strive to be accurate today. I'll tell you my source, (laughs) my main source. We're not always very accurate. (laughs) (laughs) We saw Sarah McPhee recently and she said, she said, it is really good how you use, um, how you use primary sources. But she said, but I don't think you know very much. (laughs) 
She said, I don't think Katie knows very much about the Roman invasion of Britain. And I said, she does get most of her information from horrible histories. So It's true. But she'll be pleased today because I've got a really good primary source. You have, but what might we say? Well... <laughs> You can, I'm That's not accountable. That's out of control. I'm not accountable for what you say. Um, <laughs> there was a um, a journalist who covered the whole case for the Times when it was happening. Um, his name was James Curtis, and afterwards he he'd covered the story all through. He'd done really extensive interviews with people that lived in the town. He'd you know looked into all the background. He got all the court transcripts, all this stuff, um, and he put it all together in a book. And the book is all digitised and you can read it all online. Is it called The Red Barn Murders? It's called The Mysterious Murder of Maria Martin. Oh, a lot of alliteration. Yes. Published in 1828. 514 pages long. Gosh. Let's be clear, I haven't read it all. <laughs> I've I've tried to pick out the like the important bits. Did you read the beginning and the end? No, no, no. I didn't no, because the end I feel like the end wasn't important. Like I read I read sort of bits throughout. <laughs> I read bits here and there. I skimmed the contents page and then I skipped to the good bits. But that is all available online if you want to read it. Um, so that is a really, really good primary source. There's also, as I say, quite a lot of um, newspaper articles from the time. And um, some pottery. Some pottery and... Um, I really want to see that. Yeah. I really... We good... need to see the pottery. I haven't got a picture. Oh. What I can tell you is um, a set of the Red Barn pottery, which was the Red Barn plus, I think, two figures, maybe three figures, sold in 2010 at auction for nearly £12,000. Wow. Yeah. So there's still some interest in the case. There's also a really good local interest website, which is the St. Edmundsbury Chronicle, which has a lot of excellent information about the case and quite good images, which I will come back to later. Shall we start? Yeah. Okay. But can we have a drink? We can. We can. No, I've asked too soon. Can I? No, I was going to say, <laughs> if I just establish time and location, okay. and then that will connect us to the drink. Okay. So then we can just segue perfectly into it. I know you're eager. I spoiled the segue, sorry. Two key pieces of information. Where and when. Now the where, we know we need to be reasonably local to East Anglia. Yeah. The where this time is Polstead in Suffolk which is East Anglia, of course. Um, and it's in actually quite quite southern in Suffolk um, and it's actually not far from the Essex border. Mm. So it's, it's closer to places like Colchester and that kind of thing. It's a wooded and hilly landscape. Really? Yeah. We can't get eels in. <laughs> I've specifically said no eel talk this week. Oh, oh we'll find Not way. relevant. <laughs> no way to get eels in. There's always room for an eel. Um, instead, what I can tell you about Polstead is that it is a little town. Well, fact one, Ruth Rendell used to live there. Ah. Nice. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fact two, it is known for its cherry orchards. Oh, oh, beautiful. Lovely. I love a cherry tree. Yes. And what do we get from cherry trees? Oh, cherry beer. Cherry beer. Yeah. Yay. Everyone have a cherry oh, beer. I love a cherry beer. It's all the same beer. Pass them along. Okay, so um, just to give you all a little information, it is the old Samuel Smith cherry fruit beer. We've all oh, got the same. Delicious. I couldn't get four different kinds. It's got some good yieldy mm. writing on the label. It does look as a bit well. yieldy, doesn't it? So I'll just open mine. So I don't. I haven't had this before. I don't know how it will be. Are they really hills? 
Yes, hills and woods. Uh, the woods. I mean, is less it's it's hills. But... It's hills, not mountains. I'm not claiming it's <laughs> like Everest. That it's a cool top. It's like got a cheetah rose on it. Yeah. So, um, cherry trees have nothing to do with the story, but Polstead is known for its cherry orchards. So they are, it's really they're good. red as well. Mm-hmm. We can't tell if this is red because it's inside a brown bottle. But cherries are red. Mm. Might can't tell. That's the where Suffolk Polstead. You know, it sounds pleasant. Yeah, pleasant enough. And the time is May. 1827. Hmm. So, not distant, distant. What do but... we know about 1827? Ooh. I don't know, Sarah McPhee says my history knowledge is dodgy. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. I suppose we'll we'll find out as we go. It's kind of, it is a bit of the dawn of mass um, media. It's George's, isn't it? The King's. Is it a George? Yeah, I think yeah. there's a lot of George's around this time. And then the dresses are more high, not an eel belt. It's an eel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh. Yeah, need we need like an, an eel swear pot <laughs> <laughs> every eel mention <laughs> or given the boozy nature of the podcast every time you mention an eel you have to do a shot i think yeah. everyone has to drink whenever someone mentions no that's <laughs> not fair that's crazy talk okay are you ready let it begin let it begin maria martin was the daughter of a polstered mole catcher <laughs> <laughs> that was his job thomas martin Mole catcher. Is that a whole job? It's a whole job. Moles were a real problem. But wouldn't you be like a vermin catcher? Moles. You might do moles and rats. Well, maybe, well, maybe if called upon. But his title was mole catcher. <laughs> his title was mole catcher. <laughs> Thomas Martin, mole catcher. What method did he use? I think traps. It's not nice. We don't want to hear. Oh. <laughs> But one of his mole-catching tools does come in to be very instrumental in the story. I'm scared. Yeah, you should be scared. Is it similar to a glaive? Bloody hell. (laughs) No. (laughs) This is is ridiculous. (laughs) Not similar to a glaive. He was a mole-catcher. Maria Martin, the daughter. Maria Martin, the mole-catcher? No, she wasn't a mole-catcher. Her father was. It wasn't a dynasty of mole-catchers. Maybe she's going to be when she grew up. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, not from the sounds of it. Okay. Um, this story takes place because when Maria Martin was 24, um, she fell in love, or at least in lust, oh. with a young farmer called William Corder. He was 22 at the time. Within a couple of years, a pregnancy ensued. A marriage? No. No. Not a marriage. Oh, dear. Um, so these are our, <laughs> these are two key characters for us, Maria Martin and William Corder. Both of them already had a bit of a reputation around the town of Polstead. Maria Martin, because by the age of 24, she had already had two illegitimate children. Mm. So the third pregnancy with William Corder was the third. Um, in fact... Really, you know, one you can get away with because yeah, for surely for for the eighteen twenties, yeah, yeah, a bit frowned upon. One of the earlier children was, in fact, the father was William Corder's older brother. Oh, oh. so she was, you know, around the family. Um, so she had a bit of a reputation, I'm afraid. Or well, was everyone just taking advantage of her in the village? Well, could be, couldn't it? Could be. James Curtis, the journalist, writes quite a bit about this in his book. He reports that she was known to be kind and intelligent. She had, I quote, a handsome face, a fine form and figure, and a superior dress, a dress, 
not dress, a superior address and modest demeanour. Um, he says that unlike many women of her status, she could uh, read and write. She'd had a reasonable education. But he says at a young age, she succumbed to the charms of an older, unscrupulous fellow, which began her spiral into uh. Uh, kind of losing her, her status and her respectability. Oh, a rotter. Curtis says thereafter, quote again, guilt and shame became her constant companions. It's not very... Oh, dear. I know, very judgy. Very judgy. Mr. James Curtis. I mean, she could have been having a good time and enjoying herself. I don't know. One of the the children died. Oh, okay, she's not having... One of the earlier ones died... The other one kept on, you know, was still there. Kept but going. she, you know, she was, she'd had a bit of a fall from grace, shall we say, um, in the town. William Corder, on the other hand, his crimes were of a different nature. Corder was known, uh, he was known as a ladies' man, but more importantly, and more, uh, you know, more of a thing around the town, was he was known as a fraudster. A fraudster? Yes. What kind of fraud? Various kinds. He was known for passing forged checks. Oh, yeah. That um, sounds like quite a modern kind of a fraud. I mean, I bet it's easier to forge a check back in the day. As long as you're yeah. literate and you can do some nice handwriting, everyone's going to go for it. I think it was also, um, I'm thinking of In Cold, in, um, in Cold Blood. They always, the, the two, the pair, the killers in that, are always travelling around doing fake checks, aren't they? Mm. I think. So I think what it is is that you're you're tricking people into trusting you and mm. then you've got you don't have the money to back it up basically. Um he was known he went to a boarding school so he was also quite well educated. Um he was known as Foxy at boarding school. Foxy Corder. Mm. Foxy Corder because of his sly manner <laughs> and his propensity for tall tales. Oh. A liar. He was known to be a bit of a liar and a bit of a you know a sneakster. He also quite hilariously it's not funny he he got into a lot of trouble because he fraudulently sold his father's pigs (laughs) he basically said that they were his pigs and then he sold them to somebody um who in good faith bought the pigs gave william some money and then his dad was like hang on where are all my pigs and it turned out that William had just sold the pigs. Did he get the pigs back or did... The, the pigs were gone! Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Those so, pigs must have been worth a lot of money. It also makes me think a bit of riding pigs in the fence. And that's <laughs> no! <laughs> oh, no. Um, Curtis uh, conducted interviews with quite a lot of people around the village and he had various tales of William Corder's dishonesty, which I won't recount all of them now, but there's quite a lot. So he, you know, he was known to be a bit untrustworthy. A bad egg. He'd got, you know, he'd got some unsavoury associates that he would get Mm. into scrapes with and they would go about doing like petty theft and cheating people out of money and that kind of thing. Bad egg. Yeah. Um, So after the pig fraud, Corder had been sent off to London But he later returned to help run the farm because his brother Thomas had plunged into a frozen pond. What? And died. (laughs) Was he trying to ice skate? I don't know. Was he... He was probably trying to, like, traverse... I'm not going to mention not responding (laughs) traversing the pond to get to the other side and he plunged in. Is that the one that was the father of... Yes. Oh, dear. Yeah. So, um, So William had to come back. The dad, even though after the pig incident, the dad had to bring him back. Yeah, because no one else was there to run the oh to run the farm. And actually, I believe that the dad also died around the same time. In the lake? Not in the lake. I mean, that would be suspicious. 
yeah, if two of them went in the lake, then you'd I'd think say Foxy, Foxy Corder had something it. to do with it, but I don't think so. This all, you know, this has taken place before. They meet some goings-on, and Maria gives birth to the new Corder baby in 1827. Cool. Don't know. Oh. Because it dies. Oh. Yeah. I mean, infant mortality yeah, was quite very serious. high. And it's still serious now, it's just not as common. It was happening all over the place. However, Maria still wanted to marry him. Oh, I didn't know that was on the cards. Well, I think she, he sort of, you know, he promised. Okay. But did he mean it? Mm. Can't well, he's been Foxy. lying to everyone else. He's been illegally selling pigs and checking back. And you do have to think she might have been a bit naive because there's a lot of evidence of his kind of nefarious goings on. His roguery. Mm. Exactly. So rogue. And, um, but she trusted him. Yeah, she trusted him. She trusted him. The picture painted by Curtis is, yeah, she was a little bit taken in by people because she was quite kind. She kind of wanted to think the best of people. But some people you shouldn't think the best of. Yes, Foxy is one. Foxy. Any man nicknamed Foxy. <laughs> but that's not that, not Jonathan Davis. That's because he lives in a pub called The Fox. He's Jonathan Davis. He plays in the centre for Wales. It's not his fault. He just lives in a pub called The Fox. <laughs> and his brother's called Cubby Boy because he's the fox cub because he's the younger one. But it's not... Not because not... he lives in a cubby. No, they're, <laughs> and they're not sly. They're just... We well, should just say Casey has been watching the rugby this afternoon, so she's got rugby brain today. <laughs> but I just... <laughs> Lots know. of rugby brain. No slurs about Jonathan. No, all right, sorry. No slurs about Jonathan. I, d- I, I wasn't aware of Jonathan Davis sorry. being called Foxy, I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, she's like, come on, should we get married? Corda is kind of like, all right, we'll do it. Let's still do it. Does she believe he's him? He's not very enthusiastic. No, he's not. He's not. <laughs> it takes a bit of a strange turn now. So Corda agrees to marry her. It's kind of arranged that it's going to happen at some point soon. But then Corda turns up at her house... And he says, actually, the police have got a warrant out for your arrest. because her arrest? Yeah, uh, because of your illegitimate children. What? So oh, he says, actually, we need to get out of here quick smart if we're going to, you know, make a go of it. Maria Martin's stepmother, Anne, is there while this conversation's going on. There seems to be no evidence that there was a warrant out for her arrest. So this was some kind of ploy for oh, some God. reason. Um, so he says, actually, we need to we need to elope and we need to do it fast. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, I tell you what, let's meet in the Red Barn. Oh, no. You already know something bad's going to happen there. Well, at least it's called the Red Barn. Though. I thought it was going to be red with blood, so <laughs> it could have been. I can tell you why it's called the Red Barn. Well, there's a couple of suggestions. It was a barn on the Corder property. It was used for storing grain and threshing grain and doing things with grain. It had some red tiles on the roof part of it was was tiled with with red ceramic tiles and also here's a quote from another book which we'll come back to later Shane McCorriston who writes about the murder says uh, it was a storage building and trysting spot known for the ghoulish reddish glow it was said to give off at sunset spooky yeah do you know what a trysting spot is I was assuming it was a rendezvous. Yeah, a rendezvous spot. So Maria and William had rendezvoused there quite a bit before. So it wasn't, you know, a weird place for them to meet. They had rendezvoused there. Tristed. Tristed. A tristed happened. A tristed. I reckon several, several trysts. So he says, meet me there and we'll elope to Ipswich. 
the county town of Suffolk. <laughs> That's the place to Chris go. Chris seems to find it funny that anyone would elect to Ipswich. Ipswich is all right. Would there even have been... Did the police care if people had illegitimate children? I don't children? know. It was obviously enough of a worry she for her that she enough. believed it. But she was gullible. Mm. Yeah. But the um, stepmom was there too. Wouldn't the, If it wasn't mm. possible to be arrested for that, wouldn't the step... Maybe. So here's another strange detail, which I think later... Um, became everyone you know when people have a kind of an interest in the case this is the kind of detail they like William Corder suggested to Maria that for the elopement she should disguise herself as a man (laughs) why why would why because the police were out to get her so she if she disguised herself as a man they wouldn't find her this is what William said (laughs) He's, I feel like he's making it quite complicated. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It seems to me completely unnecessary that this happened. But is there we she are. taking the children with her? Just one child, remember? Do, oh yeah. Does that? Um, come no, to the you? child stays. Oh. With I, I think the, the expectation that she'll send for him later when they've kind of settled in Ipswich and they're married and all that sort of thing. That sounds fair enough. Yeah. Off she goes, dresses herself up as a man. Mustache. <laughs> No, about Maybe a moustache. Some coal. Some coal. Just put a bit of coal on A smear of coal to make a moustache face. Yep. There's no coal in Suffolk. <laughs> There's no coal in Suffolk. Katie's trying not to say eel. <laughs> What's an eel got to do with coal? You could, you could use a baby eel. <laughs> an elver. An elver. Just stick you know, it on. Just like scoop. The man who was um, <laughs> caught for smuggling eels, it was, it was elvers. Baby eels he was smuggling. But he wasn't easier than baby. <laughs> he wasn't pretending they were his mustache. I don't think he I don't think he was smuggling them one by one out of the country pretending oh, that face. they were a moustache. <laughs> no. <laughs> he smuggled thousands, didn't he? Yeah. That would be a lot of trips. You or you just go, I've got a really big beard and it was <laughs> just made thousands of tiny eels. <laughs> like the beard of bees. <laughs> so off she goes, just as a man. She says farewell to her family. She says, I'll write, I'll be in touch. But she was never seen or heard from again. Oh, no. After she heads off to the Red Barn. Oh, heck. It does sound very sinister. Yeah, I mean, barn. it's real. It does. I know. Not good content. I think also, as I say, it became such a media frenzy. It's such a, like, the name is sounds red quite iconic, barn. doesn't it? So you can imagine this sort of setting, mm. the Red Barn, the murder in the Red Barn, it has a ring to it. And she's got quite a nice name too, hasn't she? Considering... Maria Martin. Yeah, you know, but yeah. like Joe said of the alliteration, but like, you know, it could, it's quite a good name for famous people, isn't it? <laughs> Alliterative names are good for famous people. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Marilyn Monroe, they love them. Oh, yeah. M.M. M&M. M&M, Marshall Mathers. <laughs> yeah. Marilyn Manson, but that's basically Marilyn Monroe again, just with a slight twist. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the family don't hear anything. They're a bit concerned. William Corder returns to the village. On his own. On his own. And they're like, hang on. You're I thought you were eloping. Yeah, you should be an Ipswich. And he says, no, no, she's gone on ahead. And I'm just sorting a few things out here. Then I'll just need to sort a few things out with the farm. Then I'll go and join her. Did they believe him? They, I don't think so. But they, you know, it was early to say definitely not. We, you know, they didn't have any suspicion. They didn't have any proof of foul play. There was no, you know, nothing had turned up to suggest that something had happened. However, the longer time goes on, the more and more her family are saying, come on, William, what's 
afoot. So eventually he's like, fine, I'll go and go and meet up with her. So he also leaves Polstead. Who's looking after his farm? Don't know. Everyone's gone in the cold lake. His mum. farm manager though, isn't there? He probably wasn't really doing anything anyway. He's just selling pigs that weren't his. Yeah, just bumming about. (laughs) So after he leaves Polstead, the family do receive some letters, but the letters are from William. Oh, no. He's like, oh... Maria's in uh, Yarmouth. She's staying with a friend. She doesn't have any friends in Yarmouth. Well, so he claims. And then... No. Still, they don't hear anything. And then on my birthday, October the 18th, Corda writes them a letter. (laughs) I just... The the date's there. Just Just the date was there. James James Curtis reproduces it, the journalist. The date was there, so I thought throw it in. And this letter, in this letter, William Corda says... Why haven't you replied to Maria's letter? She wrote to tell you that we'd got married. Oh, the swine, the kind swine. Yeah. Is it not true, I'm assuming? Well, they didn't get the letter. So he's basically making excuses. He's like, oh, she definitely wrote to you. I don't know why you haven't had it. And all this kind of thing. Another time he's like, oh, she's hurt her hand. She can't write. Um, she's ill. She can't write to you. She has written to you. Why haven't you replied? Why is he making it so complicated? Well, to, he's trying to cover his tracks. Couldn't he just forge a letter? Maybe he could do that handwriting. I don't know. Good question. Well, he could force um, her to write a letter. And basically the family... Did she die? <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, we don't know yet what's happened. But we can have our suspicions about what's happened. Um, and they're also, her family, are particularly concerned because she hasn't um, asked about her son and she hasn't sent for her son and they're like, she, she would, would never she just go like off. She like her son. She, you know, she cares about her yeah. son. So they start to get increasingly suspicious so bear in mind went off to elope in may and this is now october October. so this has been quite a few months that's a lot of months that i didn't but no one had facebook in those days (laughs) well that's true no one's just texting you can't just pop to ipswich oh no one's pouring tea on their phones in those days (laughs) oh Oh, i spilled tea on my mobile phone today and now it doesn't work what a boob what a boob have an electronics break yeah, it probably will. Will it? No. <laughs> I don't know. What if people are trying to contact me constantly and I don't know? What if Chris, Chris takes you to a red barn? None of us would know. Oh, my God. It's true. <laughs> There'd be no face He can get away with it. He'll say she hasn't texted you. She poured tea on her phone. <laughs> <laughs> her phone's fucked. It won't do anything. <laughs> if I press it with my fingertip, it, like, makes a little vibration, but it doesn't do anything else. Do you think it might dry out, though? It's yeah. trying. I think because there was also a hole in the screen, <laughs> the ex- pre-existing hole from it where it smashed, the tea went directly inside the phone immediately. It was as if you'd created a funnel for the tea. It was, it was as if I'd made the perfect combination tea in which funnel. the phone could break. <laughs> it's true. Oh, God. Okay, <clears throat> so that's kind of... That is a little bit of the story. But yeah. A lot more comes. Missing lady. That's exactly. Pig swine. She's been missing for months. She's been missing for months. I've now made a new subtitle on my notes. It says The Aftermath. Oh. Yeah. So let's leave William Corder for now. Who knows what he's doing? Writing his fake letters, all that sort of thing. Wait, is he in Ipswich or Paul... Polstead. He's 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 off and away somewhere. And in fact, I think the letter he sent in October, he was... In London. What a gad about. So he's gadding all around the place. So let's think about the Martins. Who are the members of the Martins family? The Moles? 
No. No, you're not. A mole catcher doesn't have moles in his family. He might keep them. He might like them as pets. But there's a dad and there's a stepmom and then there's... A child. A child. Mm -hmm. I was trying to work out the relationship. A step-grandchild or a grandchild, depending which one. And there's also two more. So the dad is called Thomas, mole catcher. The stepmom is called Anne. Mrs. Mole Catcher. Mrs. Mole Catcher. Maria's sister, also called Anne. Sorry. Oh, no. Anne and Betsy. And yeah. That's why I quite like that she was called Maria. I thought it was yeah. a bit of a mix. It's a, we and haven't I, had a Maria yeah. before. I'm not totally sure, but I feel like I read somewhere that the son is also called Thomas because he was named after Mr. William Corder's brother who fell in the frozen pond. He was called Thomas. What? But the father is also called Thomas. Too many Thomases. Yeah. And there's also a brother, Maria Martin's little brother, who I think is like 10, and he's called George. Okay. Um, so that's the kings have been called George Rages, apart from the Williams. Yeah, so he's probably named after the king. George became a trendy name. We know her, George. Yep. <laughs> I know, I wasn't that's like, the end of that story. I was, I was just, you know, putting it out there. As a... He's not named after a king, though. He could be. Could be. Well, Ask yeah. his mum. I will. No, I won't. I don't know about his mum. Let's let's focus on the Martins. Sorry. So they're getting their concerns. They think obviously something weird's gone on. She wouldn't she you know what's happened. And here the allegedly supernatural element becomes involved oh, in the story. Oh, I didn't know story. there was one. Oh, ho, ho. But I mean, we might not agree that it is a supernatural <laughs> element, but Anne, the stepmother, she goes to Thomas and she says, "Look, I've been having, for the last couple of months, I've been having these dreams where I dream that Maria's in the Red Barn and that she's been murdered. Hang on, I didn't listen properly. Who's had that dream? And the stepmum. Right. Not and the stepmum. <laughs> no. And the stepmum says to Thomas, the mole catcher, he says, she says, I've been having these dreams for right. a while. Um, that Anne, that, sorry, that it's complicated <laughs> enough without getting the names wrong, that Maria um, is being killed and she's buried in the Red Barn. Is she a witch? No, it's past witch times. She could still be a witch. Still have witches. Um, and Thomas... Really past witch times, but she's still a witch. Um, Thomas says, um, he's like, why didn't you say this earlier? And she says, oh, well, I thought you'd say that I was being superstitious and I didn't want you to Think call me a superstitious a old fool. <laughs> or think I was a witch but she's like look it's been going on so long Maria is is coming to me in these dreams and saying I'm dead and I've been buried in the red barn she does know about the red barn though because yes. she was there for the conversation yes oh yes yes that's good thinking yeah so playing devil's advocate it isn't that inconceivable you might imagine that something had happened in the red barn and that it's lodged in your subconscious yeah you're there for a conversation exactly I feel like you'd have maybe done something about it <laughs> Well, that's what Thomas says. Before he says, hang on. Six months yeah. or however well, long it's been. <laughs> she has, I don't think she's been having the dreams all that time. But, but she's known um, about the Red Barn all that yeah. time. So eventually, Thomas Martin takes his mole spud and he goes out to the barn to have a look. We're going to need to know what that is. A mole spud is a... Stick. A kind of pointy digging poking device. A jabber. Sounds a lot like a gleave. It's... <laughs> <laughs> Surely that's a pointy, jabby stick. But a gleave is... Isn't a gleave quite thin? And a mole... You know, um, what are they called? Oh, these two. <laughs> these two in their eel chats. Five pounds in the eel box, please. It's um, like in when, how I met your mother when they said... No, not that one, the other one. But they said that you have to put $5 in the not talking about monkeys jars every time you talk about monkeys. Who's talking about monkeys? It ain't simple rules. Oh. 
Oh God! Well, ours will be eels, yes. and it will be shaped like an eel, and, and you put the money in the eel's mouth. Job. Yeah, it will be really long and thin, <laughs> so the money will take ages to fall down there. <laughs> Is it a pair of tights? That we'll <laughs> with money, but <laughs> hardened with plaster of Paris, <laughs> of course, and formed into I'm an sorry. eel shape. Because you don't in a pair of tights, you're just making a cosh essentially. Yeah. If yeah. you're filling a pair of tights with change, that's, that's you're just making a cosh. Although if you cover tights in plaster of Paris, that might also be a cosh. Well, no, that roots it to one location. <laughs> you just made a really weird weapon. That's terrifying. This is where eel chat gets us. We've gone down a strange road. A strange road of weapon invention. Tell us about a spud. Okay, a spud. You know, um, gardeners have, is it called a dibber? Yeah. Yes. Or a dib- you know a dibber? For, for making a hole that yeah. you put the seed yeah. on it. Yeah, it looks a little bit like that, but it's a bit bigger and a bit pointier and it's got a kind of like a handle bit on it. How, okay. How big? The size of a ruler? Probably. I've seen a picture of one, but I don't know what the scale was because maybe they're... even longer because you don't want to have to bend over yeah, all the time and you've got to poke it. I don't think it's no, I don't think it's that long. Okay, but he goes in the barn with his mole spud. And what does it? It's going in a mole hole. Which... It's for digging up the earth a bit. So he starts to look round the barn and he starts to stab. stab in the earth. He's dibbing, dibbing and dabbing, spudding and stabbing, dibbing <laughs> into the earth in the barn. He prods around. <laughs> Before long. It's not the funny time, but <laughs> I'm just sorry. It's, are, are you laughing because it's a mole spud? It just feels a bit funny. Just a funny time. Well, it's going to take a turn. Okay, it yeah, always sorry. takes a turn. Seriously. You face. always laugh. Then I say something about Lady Cromwell's dead, someone else is dead, and then it seems really inappropriate because we've all been laughing. Before long, right. this will shut you up. Okay. He comes across a woman's body. Oh, oh and it's his daughter. It's, it's hidden inside a grain sack and buried in the in oh, the floor no. of the barn. Oh, that's horrible. For him and Curtis describes the position of the body when discovered. The legs are drawn up and the head is down, so it's kind of been put in like a crouching position, put into the sack and buried. Oh. Yeah. Um, that did Poor Thomas. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that has shut you up. Um, he couldn't see the body clearly because it's still in the sack and he's only like spudded up a bit of the earth. But what he does see is um, a green handkerchief around the woman's neck. This is key, crucial, crucial evidence. He recognises that this handkerchief belonged to William Corder. Oh. Or at least it looks very similar, similar to one. To one um, and as Maria Martin left the house disguised as a man, she was wearing this handkerchief around her neck. Oh, so it's her. So he thinks, okay, it's probably her. He leaves the body, he doesn't dig it up further, and he goes to get the police um, and they excavate the body. So, a sad time. The inquest was held the same day. That's fast. Yeah. At the Cock Inn in yeah. Polstead. Why not just have it in a pub? That's they always I mean, I think, were in yeah. pubs, weren't they? Were they? Much yeah. more fun as well if you can do that. I think because they were the, the public spaces they had. I suppose so, yeah. It's like those people nowadays that have knitting groups in the daytime in pubs where people are sober and knitting. Yeah. It, I don't feel like it's quite the same. <laughs> but I, meant it, because... I meant it be used as a community space. Like we have coffee <laughs> yeah. in them and toddler groups. I know, but they had to take the body in there. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. They took the body into the pub. Yes. Oh. Okay, well, I that's think not so. like group. Fair enough. Well, I only say that because um, they have to call Anne, the sister, 
not the stepmother, and Martin to come and try and identify the body. She doesn't need to do that. Well, the dad's dug it up. Surely the dad. Well, maybe he's in ruins. No, maybe fair enough. And they, the handkerchief is one thing that they say, but they, you know, you can't, you can't base it on that. But, um, and the body's unfortunately quite decomposed, Mm. so the face isn't very recognisable. But Anne Martin says, "Oh, Maria had a missing tooth in this specific location, and they're able to identify in the body." the same missing teeth that's clever so they are like this this is her the coincidences plus the yeah the missing teeth like an early version of dental records yeah at this point it's fairly clear to everybody that they need to find william corder he's got some questions to answer but where was he london yarmouth ipswich <laughs> there were some possibilities that's, that's what we can see you know in the story. <laughs> We're assuming he's not in Polgate or whatever it's Polstead. Sorry. He's not there. They suspected he's probably in London because the October letter came. Because he's such a gadabout. Mm -hmm. Yeah, also gadabouts aren't in Yarmouth, they're in London. Also, he's done, he's not been careful. There's the constable investigating the case is called Constable Ayers. Ayers. A Y E R S. Mm hmm. Um, And he actually has a a mutual friend with William Corder because they're from this small town. So he says to his friend, Oh, do you know where he is? And the friend's like, oh, I don't know where he's now, but I've got, I had an address for him a, f- a few months ago. So Ayers is like, okay, well, from there we should be able to track him to wherever he is now. So Constable Ayers obtains this address um, and then he says, I need some help from a London Bobby. Is a- Inspector Lestrade. <laughs> Inspector Lestrade. Is that Sherlock Holmes? Yeah, sorry. It's just where I went with London. <laughs> no, not him. But, um, Jap. Jap. Well, I, just, I just started naming police people. You're naming number. the incompetents from the famous <laughs> detective stories. Is Jack from Priory? Yeah, yeah. Jack's from Priory. Yeah, he's not very good. Oh, no, I think he's right. <laughs> and he has an allotment. Do we want him on this case? Yeah, more than we want whoever's going to... Oh, I don't know. Are they no, Constable Eyes is fine. Oh, he's friends with the... No, yeah. no, no, no. It's just because it's a small town. Okay, mm. sorry. You're probably friends with some unsavory types, or not friends with them, but you've got, <laughs> but you've probably got mutual friends with an unsavory type. This is going off track, but did you? I thought of it because I saw a Poirot once, and I think Inspector Jap was played by Sean Pertwee. I don't know actors. I'm sorry. Is that his name, Chris? Sausages. Sausages, man from. But Dog Casey soldiers. won't know about that. But did you watch <laughs> The Pale Horse? No, when yeah. I recorded it. Don't even bother. Oh. oh I thought he's this in that. a spooky one. Episode oh, one is good. Yeah, episode one is good. It's really good. Fake. Yeah, episode one is really good. Episode two is okay until the end, and then it is a massive pile of shit. And I got really angry about it. Oh, well, I'm glad you said because I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. But I have only just finished uh, last week watching Dracula from Christmas. Piece of shit! (laughs) (laughs) What did you think about Dracula? Well, you know, I have a low... (laughs) It's so terrible! Yeah, but I have a low fear threshold. So I couldn't sleep because of two days because of the dead zombie baby that was going to get at the bottom of my bed. (laughs) What? Is there a zombie baby? Yes, in the Christmas Dracula. Oh, Oh God! I'd... And it gets on the bottom of the bed in the middle of the night. Well, that is yeah. scary. And again, so episode that's one. All that stayed with me. Episode one, quite camp and silly, fine. Episode three, the worst TV I have ever I seen. I enjoyed episode two best. I thought. Yeah, I yeah on the two. ship. I like yeah. two actually. And also, I didn't. I didn't mind all the modern twists, but I got scared of the zombie baby, so it changed it for me. 
I once, by the time I'd seen episode three, I wished that, I wished I had never watched any of the three episodes. I wished that Mark Gatiss had never read Dracula. I wished that Bram Stoker had never written Dracula. I wished everything about it had never happened. That's how much I hated it. Wow. Yeah, but I also hated the pale horse. But I do like some things, just not those... Just not those things. I just was so cross by how bad they were. Oh, anyway. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry about that. So. What's our London detective called? He's called James Lee. James Lee? James Lee. Mm. You don't know him? Well, I don't know him and I'm not sure if he sounds very trustworthy. No? You don't like him? No. Just based on his name? Yeah. Oh, judgmental. The reason that James Lee is of interest though we can't go into this now, is um, later, like a decade later, so in the nineteen late 1930s, sorry, 1830s, late 1830s, and sometime in the 1840s, there were a series of sightings of um, what became known as Spring-Heeled Jack. Yes! Yes! You know all about Spring-Heeled Jack, I see. Only from a children's book written by Philip Pullman. Oh! Ooh. I was going to say, I bet you've both read a historical novel about it. I've read a children's novel. <laughs> Does yeah, that count? I feel like I have read yeah, probably the same one. <laughs> um, so I don't know that much about it, but I know it was a. He looked. People thought he was a, like a devil. Mm. Yeah. And he appeared around London. Yeah. Wild big hair. And yeah, and red eyes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and James Lee was the um, inspector that was assigned to investigate. Interesting. Yeah. And tricky because he's slippery kind, character. It's kind of a nonsense. Mm. I don't think he did any murders though. In the or did he? No, in the well, in the children's book, he is known as a terror, but is actually good and is kind of a Robin Hood character. Oh, that's oh. such a Philip Pullman thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. Do you hate Philip Pullman? No, too? I like Philip Pullman. Oh, I love Philip Pullman. It's Don't just a quite that. a Philip Pullman thing to do to go like, oh, the one you think he's really just misunderstood. <laughs> But he's not a demon, he's just misunderstood and he's got like a bad eye condition that makes his eyes glow red in the dark. <laughs> but it doesn't mean he's a devil. But it means he can scare all the bad people. Well, yeah, the devil scares everyone. Anyway, so... Maybe not Foxy Corder. Well... He should be scared. He should be scared. He should be scared. James so, Lee is coming for him. James Lee and Constable Ayers, which I don't know much about them. I've seen some drawings, but I like to imagine they could form a kind of unlikely... Um, oh, yeah. Like a odd couple-style police show. Because James Lee's the city man. He's a bit slick. Yeah. I was going to say He's going to have a big case in a few years. He doesn't know it yet. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, He's and he, smart. a mm. suit, some polished shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and then Constable Ayers coming up from Cherry Country. Yeah. You know, maybe some cherry stains on his a bit, shoes. A bit of <laughs> blossom stuck to his shoes. Yeah, kind of a bit florid, I think. Crumpled. Yeah. Yeah, kind of an unwashed. Maybe outfit. sometimes hay goes in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Just for a chew. He likes to chew. <laughs> a bit of dung. From the countryside. I'm not putting dung in his mouth. No, not in his mouth, in his <laughs> shoes. <laughs> but I like to imagine them as a kind of um, an odd couple pairing. But they've had to team up because this murder case is spanning countryside and city. Urban and rural. Yeah, exactly. So I like to imagine that. If Mark Gatiss would like to write us a... Uh... <laughs> oh my God, he'd love Spring Hill, Jack. Yeah, I'm surprised he hasn't already fucking pissed all over it and i know it's not just him it's moffat as well yes they're both i don't there. want you to think i'm just singling out my latest 
Stephen Moffat was also responsible for this abomination. I enjoyed a lot of Dracula and a lot of Sherlock. I just like to put that out there at this point. Oh, Sherlock. Not the fucking Christmas one. Yeah. That's not the, the Okay, no, not the Christmas one. But before that, there were some good ones. Maybe. Yeah, but, but the Christmas, Christmas one, one pissed un- all over everything. It undid that, everything that yeah. ever happened. <laughs> Come up with your own characters, Moffat and Gatiss. Stop pissing on everyone else's characters. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't planned this. <laughs> it's just come up, come up organically in the conversation. I didn't, I didn't mean it to happen. Um, Unexpectedly angry. I know. I was honestly, oh, after that last Dracula, Should I was, I, get us another drink I was furious. Stuff? I was furious. Well, there's, we're coming up to a little break. Okay, cool. cool. So let me stop ranting about my hatred for. Um, <laughs> You don't hate them, though, just those two programmes. Well, the more they produce... (laughs) No, you're right. I don't hate them, but the more things they produce (laughs) that I hate, I do feel like I will hate them by the end. Okay. The more they do that is shit, I will... And that's the warning to them. Stop writing shit. Let's go back to your story. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) Sorry, Moffat and Gatiss, (laughs) if you're listening. You have done some good stuff. Okay, well, this is quite a fun bit of the story. So Ayers and Lee, the odd couple. Yes, here we go. I imagine them like this, like... That's the theme music. (laughs) Boo, 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 boo. (laughs) Sort of bumbling Quite similar to the straw bear music of uh, (laughs) of last time. Um, So the most recent address they've got for him is in a boarding house in Brentford. They think, okay, we need to get in. He might not let us in. We need to pretend. So um, James Lee says, oh, I'm, um, I need my, I need to, my wife needs to stay in this boarding house or something. I've come to have a look. Um, and they get in the door. And then... You knew James Lee would be good. Yeah. Awesome. No, you said he was going to be shit. You well, said you didn't like the sound of him. Now I like him. <laughs> I like him now. <laughs> we said he was slick. Yeah. Um, and there's a report from the Times from the 24th of April... 1828. Here's a quote. Corder was in the parlour with four ladies at breakfast. He was in his dressing gown and had a watch before him by which he was minuting the boiling of some eggs. (laughs) 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 So (laughs) he's just there. At one bit, that sounds really debauched, and then he's... (laughs) 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 Well, he... he, The four ladies were staying in the boarding house, so, you know, it does sound suspicious, but I think he just was there. Are they in their dressing gowns? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think ladies go in No. He's the um, And he's like, I'll make you all some nice eggs for breakfast, so he's boiling some eggs up. Very precisely. Yeah, in come Lee and Ayers with their awkward questions. It turns out Corder was now married. What? Yeah. And running this boarding house with his new wife, Mary Moore. Oh, so he's not staying there. Oh, hang on. Initials and also M-M. he's not staying there. He's, M-M. that's He owns it. He's he's running it, yeah. So he's that's why he's boiling these eggs for all these ladies. Where did you get the money from? Oh, I see. He's, okay, I see. He's the case. So he's, he's running it, yeah. So... But... This is less than a year after Maria went missing. Mm. So he's moved pretty fast here. Mm. Um, more surprisingly, the Times also reports that after the arrest of William Corder, because they arrest him, Mary Moore's brother says to her, hang on, who's this new husband? What's all this about his past that I hear? He's, you know, been arrested for some kind of shady business going on. They found some pistols in his house, which is a bit shady. Pistols? Um, And Mary responded, she'd only known him three weeks. What? 
but having met him through the medium of a matrimonial advertisement at a pastry cook's shop in Fleet Street. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> so it seems so. I thought, hang on. Is this a thing? And it is a thing. So people would put adverts up basically saying uh, wealthy businessman looking for a new wife in such and such area or whatever. You know, a good good family, good like prospects, blah, blah, blah. Mates, but you just have to do it in three weeks. Well, yeah, he's moved fast. And you put it in a pastry shop. You put it in a pastry cook's shop. And then... Fair enough, buy a pie, get a wife. What does, <laughs> what does she get out of it? Well, a, a, a rich a husband. husband, yeah. Oh, but he's mm. no good. Well, but she didn't know. But maybe she should have spent a bit more time with him, not Learn just three research. weeks. So, so that's a surprise to her. Oh, These two yeah. policemen just rocking up. We're arresting your husband. Mm. What about the eggs? <laughs> <laughs> They'll have gone too far. <laughs> I think someone else has taken care of the eggs. I hope so. Imagine all those surprised ladies just waiting for their eggs and then yeah. in, in burst these two policemen, country man and I city know, man. That sounds very exciting. I mean, James Lee's probably a bit of a looker and then he walks. I think he's a looker. <laughs> you think you're having your boring breakfast and then suddenly you've got something to write home about. They're probably both a lot younger than we're imagining as well. I'm imagining James Lee's like No, 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 no. But just we think, oh, to be a kind of an Constable Ayres, I think he's in his 40s. Okay. Although, isn't it, if he's friends with Corden, isn't he going to be... Oh, yeah. Corder. Sorry. So anyway, so that's the surprising scene. And you can... So this goes out in the Times. You can see already the elements are coming together to make this into, like, a big media story. What's this man doing in a boarding house kicking eggs for four women? He's just sitting about in his dressing gown. The town man and the country man coming to get him the mysterious past the very quick marriage all this sort of thing if he wanted a wife so much why didn't he just marry the one who wanted him maria molehouse maria molecatcher i don't know um but the public interest in the case begins to spiral a report from just a few days later in the publication john bull magazine states that um, Lee and Ayers transported Corder to Colchester mm. to take him back, you know, back to Suffolk. They planned to stay in the George Inn, but news of Corder's arrival had spread and immense crowds had gathered outside the inn to gawp at him as he was brought in. Their anxiety to gain sight of the prisoner was intense. Ooh. So already there's all this public excitement. sort of speculation and excitement around this case and they're all just there just hoping to get a little glimpse of him mm. to see what he was like. He was very short, by the way. Oh. Five foot four. That is short. He wore little round glasses. He looks is quite sort of studious looking. Hmm. Sound like maybe he deserves all this fuss. Well... Ladies gathering around him in his dressing gown. So this, this from here on, we see the sort of uh, the frenzy growing. The media becomes more and more obsessed. They're reporting on like every single little thing. Reporters are sent to Polstead to ask all these questions. Who was Maria Martin? What were, you know, what was uh, Foxy Corder like? What were the families like? All this kind of thing. As the details started to emerge in the papers, the interest grew further still. Maria dressed as a man. Uh, the grandmother's, sorry, the stepmother's dreams leading oh, to the discovery yeah. of the body, uh, the kind of dubious pasts of the characters, the mangled body dug out of the barn floor, the all spud. this stuff yeah. with the spud. All of this began to come out and the public's kind of lust for these sordid stories and all these little weird details. 
grew and grew and grew. Ooh. Frenzy. So we can have a little break there and maybe get the next drink. Let's do it. Katie's going to ladle us a drink. There's some strange coloured drink in a, in a big bowl. And there's some lovely tiny glasses with handles. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're going to have to drink it all anyway. It's got floating bits in, floating specimens. Right, so, uh, it is the colour of bog water. Well, I researched what were popular drinks in the Georgian times. In oh, the, God. In the 1800s. And at uh, balls in the 1800s, the ladies, I just threw it over. Here you go, that's going to be dripping so they can have a microphone. Uh, the ladies would drink uh, punch. You know, like the Bennets when they go to. Yeah. This is a uh, Georgian 1800s punch. So we okay. can pretend we're a Bennett. What's um, in there? It, the brandy is the base drink. Lovely. We all like brandy. The ladies also had white wine and the gentlemen would drink red wine, claret or port. Oh. What? In, not in the punch. They're separate. No, no, no. At the, at the, just... It smells very fresh. It's got lemons in, so I think you're going to cry. Um, <laughs> I do like lemons. They just fresh. make me squint. And what are those bottles you've got? Oh, well, that's because I thought this might be horrible, so we'll talk about those in a bit. Oh, okay. If we can't manage to drink them. Okay, so Katie, beans. thank you. These are really pretty Ooh. tiny glasses, and we will try our 18th century, 19th century. Yes, 1800s punch. 1800s punch. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. So murky. Ooh, it's fresh. Ooh. I mean, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I like it's, it. It's nice. So tell me what's in there, brandy and lemon juice. And, uh... Sugar, which I use demerara, which is why it's brown, because um, <laughs> because the internet told it is me, brown. Uh, demerara is more like a raw sugar that would have been available at the time. Ah, perfect. Oh. And different people used to have different variations of punch, and sometimes it had wine in it, sometimes it had brandy in it, sometimes it had fruit floating in it, and this is what I've read. I tell you what, I would drink this week. between courses of a big meal. It's like yeah. a little pepper because it is quite yes. I think this would help your lemonade. Yeah, this would help your main course go down. If you were a Bennett sister at a ball, you'd be drunk though, wouldn't you? That's why Lydia was getting into all those scrapes. Yeah, but they did also. Apparently, there were lots of variations on the recipes, and different people would have. And this is actually an American chap with a food blog (laughs) tells me this is an authentic 1800s recipe. How boozy do you think this is? Um, There, in the whole bowl, there is uh, 35 CLs. Or three hundred. <laughs> <laughs> make a thing. Thirty-five mil. No, not milliliters. That's not right. CLs of um the, half, of brandy. Half a bottle of wine. Half a bottle of brandy. Not a big bottle of brandy. Well, it's quite boozy. <laughs> it's nice though. I'm going to drink this between all my other drinks as a, like a pepper to pet <laughs> me really up. Peppy. I was wondering, that, thinking it was going to be pretty grim, but it's not as bad as it's nice. It's Katie, really... once again, you always do such a good peppy. effort on these. It's good. That's why I get mine out of the way early on because mine are usually rubbish. Or mine go last because then everyone's so drunk it doesn't I'm really matter what we're drinking. It might be in the crazy juice territory what? for me. <laughs> Don't start this crazy juice talk again. It's got that it's got that feel in my brain. <laughs> it's that you feel your brain starting it's, to boggle. It's going in. <laughs> Apparently the Georgians were booze hounds. Georges mm. and I think everyone in history was a that, booze hound. That, no, that bit of history with the, 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 George, all those George, 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 George and William, they apparently they were booze. Yeah. Who's the, the big George? I, I, to be honest, I uh, George the you know. fourth was the Prince Regent. That's the George yeah. I'm thinking of. He was the Prince Regent, then he became I George the fourth. I can just see him 
glugging he, down he a bowl built of Brighton crunch. Pavilion. Yeah. So he was around, you know, he was like, oh, just he fun, fun times. He was a mistress. Rogue. But yeah. a, a punch swiller, I'd say. <laughs> a right old punch swiller. That's what he was. He didn't want a tiny cup. He wanted a... No. <laughs> that was thinking that was like the Bennett sisters, the tiny cups. <laughs> yeah. We are more like the Bennett sisters than we are like George IV. Although I did think I just got us a bottle of port when I read that it was only the men could have it. I was like, well... Fuck them. <laughs> We're having the port. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I bet Constable Ayers and James Lee celebrated with a nice glass of port mm. once they'd arrested uh, I think William they Corder. also had a pork chop. A chop? Yeah, in a chop house. Chop house. The rules were pork and port. Yeah. Pork and port. By the fire. Because they just love alliteration. He always got a special seat by the fire. Yeah, and he loved a chop. Yeah, and he had a chop by the fire. <laughs> yeah. With a jug of something. I can't remember, no, but, but yeah. he loved a chop. I've never had a pork chop. <laughs> <laughs> It is crazy juice. <laughs> I don't see what's so crazy about that statement. It's I'm just Have I'm you observing. The Simpsons at standard fear. I've no one people don't that word eat was a, fair, by the way. Just people don't eat a pork chop in this country. Chris is looking at me like I'm an absolute div. I've eaten a pork chop, just to be clear. Well just because you're from the Midlands. Oh fancy. No, I hate cider. I was saying to Katie <laughs> as we were preparing this drink. This isn't a challenge because I won't do it if you bring it. <laughs> Cider is the only drink I will never drink, never, ever, ever. And I won't even try it. Did a bad thing happen once? No, I just think it's absolutely disgusting. Oh. I love cider. I will yeah. never drink it. It's like apple juice. I hate apple juice. Oh, but sometimes it's very smoky. Katie's looking at you like, what's your problem with that? <laughs> I think we've gone off topic. Yes. <laughs> Tell us more about James Lee. Okay, now. I'm, I'll I'm tell like you. James You've Lee got fixated on James well, Lee. James Lee's leaving our story at this stage. Oh, so you need to really? just forget him. Forget James Lee. Does he get an award or something? No, he doesn't get an award. He's just oh, doing his he job. for Spring Hill Jack later. Yeah. I don't think he does Let's because they never catch that. Spring Hill Jack. Because I'm not sure he's real. Well, they don't catch anyone. So I don't think he ever gets an award. I think, mm. in, I have no idea, but what I imagine is that he basically gets driven to drunken insanity by, oh, his, come on. by his inability to catch Spring Hill Jack or ever yeah. like identify what it was or what the problem was or anything. Oh, heck. Well, no, I'm just, I'm imagining. If I were to write the story, that's what would happen. That's not the end we wanted for him, is no. it? Well, he cut, he's, you know. We just, uh, I like to imagine him just eating chops by the fire. Yeah, with a pork. He does that too, but then but then someone asks him a question and he doesn't reply and he's just got like a distant look in his or eye. Or he goes crazy. And he's thinking about Spring Hill Jack in his mind and they're like, James, James. But he doesn't reply. He's just staring, staring madly into the distance. And then he throws his chop in the fire. Then he oh. grabs the chop, slaps the person around the face <laughs> with it, flings his port into the fire, it sizzles, and in the sizzling, he sees the figure of Spring Hill Jack. Pss, oh, laughing at him. Laughing. <laughs> and then the next shot is just him in a straitjacket in an asylum. <laughs> God, what an end. I know. That's it. That's the Victorian gothic for you. Everyone ends up in an asylum in a straitjacket. But that's not this story. No, and there wouldn't be any chops there, would there? <laughs> can't have chops in an asylum just especially not if you have gone to the asylum because you've smacked a man <laughs> in the face with a chop they don't let you have that there they call it a weapon <laughs> they say don't give him a chop he'll just smack you in the face 
It's a good weapon. If you can make a weapon out of food and then eat it, like that that's s- really Stephen cool. King one. Yeah. Where she bashes him with the um A frozen fish. Uh, I thought it was a lamb leg, but either way. The yeah. leg of lamb's Patricia Highsmith. Someone I, gets killed with the leg of lamb I and think Patricia Stephen Highsmith. King stole it with his um and then the police come and they eat the lamb. Yeah. Once in CSI someone got stabbed with a swordfish. And then did they eat it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's genius. What you need to do. Killers, could take you a, note. a baguette. <laughs> you can't kill a man with a baguette. You could sharp, you could freeze it. And <laughs> a then frozen baguette. It. No one's got a freezer big enough to freeze a baguette in. It's too big. <laughs> oh, it's not big enough to freeze a baguette. If you had a chest freezer, you could get a baguette. Who's in got there? a chest freezer? People in the eighties. Well, fine. Eighties. Serial killers. Serial killers, exactly. And it, I think by that point you've gone past frozen baguettes as your weapon. <laughs> if you've already got a chest freezer. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's crazy juice. <laughs> it is, I tell thee. Um, okay. I've nearly finished mine. Should I have a bit more? Or should I should I have Chris is out? Well, I'll tell you what I'll, Chris I'll, isn't allowed to go crazy. While well, we're at this point, I was scared that this would be because I haven't obviously made uh, many Georgian punches before. I was scared that it would be too squinty for the McVees. So I also bought but just It's two, not that squinty. I bought two bottles of beer to share, thinking more about the uh, farm theme. And these are a beer with barley wine in them. Ooh. So thinking about the barn and the farm. Uh, they're called Bearded Nurse by the Weird Beard. Bearded Nurse? Yes, by the Weird Beard Brewing Company. <laughs> and it says beer with barley wine in it. Okay. Um, and I got them when I went last weekend to Windsor um, oh. to a nice oh. Because I, I also read in the 1800s of how they made beer with all different things, like sometimes even with carrots, but it turns I couldn't find a carrot beer in this country. <laughs> there are some in America. Yeah, carrot beer. And um, is there a beard on that? Yes, there is. There's, there's they, a skull with a beard on the skull. That They've got a really cool, uh, they've got cool logos with loads of different skulls on and all the skulls have different hair or beards and stuff. Hair can grow after death, but maybe <laughs> not on a skull. <laughs> um... <laughs> is this the same brewery that you got me your dad got me that really nice one at Christmas no but it's the same um, it's the same beer shop do they bar. want to sponsor us I don't know but one of them knows <laughs> one of them knows a lot about witches so maybe yes oh, maybe. tell them to listen and they can be our official sponsors I, I have I, I did tell them why this uh, this beer was coming here do we have to drink it out of these tiny cups yes because I didn't bring anything else upstairs well I, what I'll do I is rinse have out my tiny punch. cup with or maybe we want more punch I don't know I'll have a bit more punch okay. first. Joe, punch us, punch us. I'll hold Joe's going to punch us up. But what are all these specimens that are floating in there? That's the... the lemon. Zest. The oh, the lemon zest. zest. Sorry, the other one. Lemon zest. It does look like... I have to say, after I reread the recipe this afternoon, it turns out I was supposed to do the lime zest in big strips so that I then realised could have been fished out. Oh. I grated it because you just normally grate it. Because this, like... it does look a bit like... Um, yeah. I got Joe a postcard from the Welcome collection and it has a picture of some Thames water with loads yes. of specimens and it does look a little bit like... Um, I do wonder if I probably should have sieved it, but... However... It's tasty. Are you thinking of cholera water? Yeah, I'm thinking of cholera water. (laughs) Thanks for clarifying. (laughs) On that note, we end part one of the story of the murder of Maria Martin. As you can see, things are hotting up. William Corder is on his way to trial. What will happen to him there? All sorts. All sorts will happen to him after the trial as well, which is 
really interesting and quite gruesome. So that will be coming for you next episode. Do please visit the website. It's uh, ruthisstranger.co.uk. Um, I'll try and put some links up there too. Um, maybe even a link to the very, very long and detailed account of the murder by James Curtis. That's something to read as you self-isolate. Fill your mind with all the tiny, tiny details of the trial. Uh, and also we'll stick some other bits up on there as well. Okay, thank you for listening, my friends. See you next time. <laughs>